All right, so I think this was a good Voyager week. I had a good week this week. I liked uh, whatever Prime Factors was. I, I, I don't understand why it was called that, but we'll, I guess, talk about it. I like that episode I better. I think because they both had their own version of the Prime Directive. That was my interpretation. Uh, okay, that, no, that makes that that actually makes sense. Um, I was thinking it was going to be a mathy episode. Um, certainly, I think that one was deeper. Um, well, let's talk about emanations because I think... I, where I took, we've talked, we talk about a lot of episodes, especially in DS9, as, oh, this is DS9 telling this episode's story or picking up a theme or whatever. Um, this episode reminded me a lot of Half a, Half a Life, which is one of my favorite TNG episodes. Okay. Uh, given that it is about the Federation dealing with a culture whose rituals surrounding, surrounding death are extraordinarily different, are almost opposite in some ways, and basically that clash between two different belief systems that both hold very dear. Uh, that said, I think I like half a life's treatment of it much better. And I think that exposes certain weaknesses in the half a life ends with a very respectful, if not understanding, then acceptance of this other ones uh, of this other culture and belief systems in a way that feels very Trek. I don't feel that that's earned in this episode. And that I guess made me a little uncomfortable with the ending. I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I like both of these episodes, like I said, yeah. but I think that Prime Factors is much better than Emanations, and actually I was really shocked at yeah. how impressed by that episode I was, because as I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, I had absolutely no recollection of it, and I don't remember, I think I saw it, because I, I vaguely recalled the the Belgian-slash-French alien yeah. who was macking on, on Janeway, but Emanations, I, I think you're right, like... Half a life worked, of course, because we had a connection with this character of, and I don't yeah. got, remember the guy's name, but we had a connection with him through Low Oxana Troy. Now, because she liked him, we like him by extension, right? And you know, people have different opinions of Low Oxana Troy, and that's fine. Although, if you don't like her, you're wrong. Um, but <laughs> Emanations, I think, is is a is a weaker episode because. Well, number one, we, we don't know Harry Kim as well as Loax on a Troy, which yeah. is an odd thing to say, but true, I think, because yeah, we, yeah, I think we don't. Fair. I mean, he's only been, we've seen, what, seven episodes of the show at this point? And, and, and in a way, just as we like what's-his-name from Half-A-Life through Luoxana, we like Luoxana through De- Deanna Troy, who we do see every single week. That is true as well, yeah. So we don't have that sort of third degree of separation, yeah. I guess. You know, that dude ter- is basically our stepfather in you know by extension right and and i think that one of the reasons why emanations i think the part of emanations that works for me is all of the character interactions among the crew Mm -hmm. and their i mean i liked uh we'll talk about chakotay we'll talk about harry kim of course i feel as though the episode works because it gives us more insight into what our main character's believe and how they're going to react to situations and i don't feel like the alien culture and emanations was that well sketched out now part of that of course i think is because it was a much more ambitious attempt than half a life yeah because half a life was a 
assisted suicide allegory. It yeah. was a sort of Logan's Run thing exactly. only with older people. We we kind of got that already. They didn't have to do a lot of the groundwork to establish that as a concept. And Whereas they also, in- I would say, do a good job at establishing why this uh, We Kill You at 60 is established as a way of giving dignity so that way you don't topple into you know I, that you're right this one doesn't yeah and i and it's funny it's interesting to me because this was written by brian and Braga, and and one mm. of the things that i think is is interesting about emanations is you can kind of see Braga episodes have always struck me as a little darker as a little yeah. grimmer than some of the other writers that wrote for for tng specifically and he really with emanations i think that it is the case where he established this alien culture i mean basically they're they're They've established this fiction of their culture that people are going off and going to this wonderful afterlife. And so it's not really a problem that they're dying. I mean, what we're talking about, in effect, is a entire society that is a suicide cult. Well, yeah, you have the most Christian religions, uh, Catholicism in particular, I have a prohibition against suicide because if heaven is so great why the fuck am i here right and this one i i think this in a way it's attempting to be a very dark take on fluffy cloud heaven where i see grandma and grandpa again and uh but without that prohibition against suicide the second things are going a little bit wrong you're gonna kill yourself because all right well i'll start again i'll be back where there's no problems yeah and i i I think that the episode doesn't quite yeah establish that to the level that i would like it to now that's not to say that it's a a necessary necessarily a criticism of the episode i think that again really the point of emanations is to show us how green harry kim is and how not good at first contact situations he is And, and we'll certainly talk about that but you know, to kind of get the the alien culture out of the way, because of course this is what Voyager is is shaping up to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. It's just shaping up to be. Oh, we've had this alien culture of the week. Here's what they are. We're getting back to more of a TNG style thing. Yeah. Where they just go to this planet and they have to establish it very quickly. And and I, I don't I don't know if this. I feel like this episode is probably about as good as some some episodes, early episodes of TNG in terms of establishing the alien culture. I mean, I, as a baseline, we are much better than first season TNG ever was. Oh, yeah. Which I, I, I do want to stress that. I don't, I don't think this is a bad show at all. No, no, no. I mean, it's fine. And I think that one of my... Um, you know, one of my uh, challenges with, with Voyager especially is, is kind of changing my critical approach to it because with DS9, we didn't have these alien cultures yeah. of the week for the most part. That was a show that was delving into world building of just a select few alien cultures and, and characters in a real way. And in this the few is not time, that. In the few times we did have an alien culture of the week, it was they're another subject of the Dominion kind of a thing. It was tied into the larger plot. Yeah, and I think that, that key to this episode, I think why it works for me, is the the performances by uh, I don't remember any of their names. I think one of his names was Adele. I think Adele. Sure, sure Adele. You know that's fine. Adele is in this alien culture. I'm making a new album. What can I name it? I'll just put my age. There we go. I right. mean, have some creativity, lady. <laughs> she has all her creativity in her music. That's where where she keeps it. I guess you know. I don't want to talk about Adele. <laughs> but. Uh, 
the performance by uh, the guy who is not the guy who plays Lanier in Babylon 5 but looks bizarrely like him is quite oh. good. I think they're, they're able to establish... The, the one with the bum leg. The one with the bum leg, exactly, who, <laughs> who appears to be like 45. Well, here, here see, I, 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 at first I was saying like it doesn't seem like he's that bad off. Like it just seems like he has some moderate pain you know he's not good going to be a good day laborer but he can probably you know and especially when at the end he's like well i'm gonna go into the mountains and hide out and i'm like if you're that bad off but then i think part of the implication is that you know it's like a horse gets a you know a horse breaks his leg we're gonna shoot him you know that's the kind that's that's medicine in this place so this guy break right right this guy has you know pain when it rains oh we gotta we gotta kill him well, that, I guess, you know, that that's kind of the thing, though. I agree with that because this alien culture really does seem to be that yeah. taken to its logical extreme where, you know, if you do believe that you are going to this wonderful place after you die, um, okay, well, I have this disease or I have a problem with my leg that is never going to go away. Yeah. So, all right, I guess it's time to check out. I mean, I don't think that it's as bad as, like, I have a headache and I'm no, going to go no. kill myself, but it does seem to me that the the baseline level of this is a medical condition that I would like to die now yeah. is extremely low in this culture. Well, I mean, how many times have you had when you're just really fucking sick and you're like, Oh my God, I want to die. Like, okay. You know, in that culture, we know that. All right, we'll get better from this, but yeah, that's basically where they are, which you're, you're right. I, I don't know if the episode, if the series is prepared to go as dark as all of that, because which is, a shame because, for example, the quickening I think went as dark as it ought to have. Yeah, a it showed how fucked up and horrible this society would be, how depressing, how demoralized, and and I think part part of that as well is that the quickening did have a larger palette to work from. Yeah, you know, this is the quickening again is is a town, right? And yeah, we only see a few people, but it is a more expansive thing. They're outside. You know, they were able to get a bunch of extras. They were able to do something with um, costuming and, and yeah. props and things like that. Whereas, and the, again, the, they the were Venians... tying it to the Dominion and showing how cruel the right. Dominion is, so they could, you know, twist it as much as they wanted to. And and the Venians are like two rooms. Yeah, I mean, we don't really get a good sense of what even their buildings look like, what their clothes really are like, because of course it would be. I, it would seem like an obvious sort of thing that the clothes that we're seeing in this episode are very sort of ceremonial. Yeah, and everybody is obsessed with death in this particular cast because they're at the sanitarium or whatever. If they were, you know, somebody in an office building who is perfectly healthy is probably having a very different day. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's interesting to me because the the the, the episode has a lot of attention to, to detail, which I really like. But I don't know that it knows, you know, what to do with those details in terms of telling a larger mm. story of what this culture would be like. And, you know, the episode is trying to do a few different things, so I'm not necessarily criticizing it. I mean, I did like it. But, yeah, you're right. It's not it, – for, for an idea which has its roots in something that is what we would consider to be – I don't know if immoral – I mean, amoral. I don't know. It's not as though these people are really being – push to do this i mean certainly there's some element of of coercion here perhaps i don't know i get the sense though that every deep throat's belief is very uh i'm glad you picked up the guy who played deep throat by the way um i mean he seems genuine about this yes he's worried that harry kim will cause everybody's society you know cause society to collapse but i think that the 
for the most part, the people on this planet genuinely believe this, genuinely do, you know. Yeah. All of this. It's not like they're killing people for evil reasons. Again, maybe not quite as justified as in Half a Life, which we come to accept. Again, this, these aren't our ways, but they're not it's not evil ways or anything yeah sure and and i also think that the other the other uh, you know maybe this is a structural not a problem with the episode but this is the reason why it feels a bit like a closed room mystery is that it is a closed room mm. mystery i mean voyager is not there only harry kim is there yeah. and so we're only seeing one or two rooms we're only meeting a few of these aliens because that's who Harry Kim is meeting yeah. and seeing. You know, it's not a half a life situation. It's not a quickening situation. It's it's this situation. It's an emanation situation. Yeah. So we're not getting a good full picture of, of yeah. what the society is like because nobody on Voyager knows that and knows the answer to that question. Yeah. At the very, I mean, the reason only anybody know Janeway and the crew are getting one half of the story. Really, Kim's getting the other. They only figure out what one on. After the events of the episode, after they revive Harry Kim and they have a very long conversation. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's kind of like you get the two sides of it, of course, because you have yeah. you have the the guy who Harry Kim is with, and they're he's telling him a very particular story about what the culture is like and, and what sort of his family is like, and then you're getting the other side of it, which is this woman that Voyager accidentally sucks up and they revive her mm-hmm. and she's freaked the fuck out because why wouldn't you be? And she's telling a very particular version of that as well, and she is you know the other half of that, of course, is this. Because really, the, the 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 tension in the episode is well, who was right here? Yeah, and as it turns out, it's almost got this little X Files ending where, well, we didn't know they were right, but maybe they are right because yeah. they've got their energy going into these rings. And hey, who knows? Well, I mean, in general, and we're going to see some of this in the next episode. The series is about the Federation coming in turn. This is a much more. Janeway is a much more moral relativism captain who is very much, you know, we certainly had Picard and uh, Cisco dealing with cultures that were not their own and having to respect their beliefs and all of that, but still as the dominant culture. That was as a majority taking in a minority and respecting who they were. This is about, in, in this, in the Delta Quadrant, the Federation is the minority, and again, this is much more of the theme of, uh, prime factors or whatever it's called uh but they they don't have the numbers to have at, at least in the alpha quadrant the federation has the numbers to suggest that maybe they have moral superiority or at least authority in the situation they have nothing justifying any moral authority in in the delta quadrant right they don't have anything and i i, I think that that's key to the beginning mm-hmm. of the episode as well where Again, once again, I mean, I like the fact that they it starts out with this science thing. Yeah, they thought they've discovered a new element, and Janeway's geeking out over it. And then they go down and they find the bodies, and you you see, I mean, because again, Voyager gets criticized for not doing character work, and maybe that's true later on. We'll find out. But I think in this episode, yeah. again, you, you you get this sense that Belana is someone who is not really standing on ceremony. She's not interested in. Uh, yeah. an afterlife she's not interested in, in anything she's interested in oh, i don't know i just want to do this and let's get it done yeah. and let's not worry about it whereas chakotay is very focused on the 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 ceremony of it respecting their beliefs and i think you get more of a sense of who those characters are yeah. in that one scene than she, yeah she only sees really what her eyes and her sensors tell her when when he's saying what do you know about these people she 
basically lists off a couple of, you know, chemical things and that's about it. And he's saying, you know, well, obviously they're ceremony and they're naked, so they don't think they'll take possessions with them. And their arms are folded, so they were very carefully placed. And these type of things, he's attuned to— Which doesn't to- actually seem to be true, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is a fair point. Um, that said, he is much more—I mean, he is judging that by Earth customs, by, you know— the customs of the Native American people as a whole, which this show seems to think exists. Uh, Either way, he is sensitive to ritual in a way, which I think it's interesting that a Klingon is not sensitive to the ways of ritual. Yeah, because, well, Bolana is not a very good Klingon. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the point of that conversation she had with with Harry Kim, uh, you know, last week, where they're talking about their families, and she's saying, well... My mother went back to the Klingon homeworld. Yeah, I never was, really wanted to deal with it. So, so. she was raised on Earth or or a, or a Federation human planet. Right, I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think she was raised on Kronos. <laughs> yeah, the opposite of Worf. She she is kind of the opposite of Worf <laughs> in a way, actually. Yeah, because she she well, she's a lot like Kaylair. Yeah, yeah. She wants to be her. Yeah, uh, she. Thinks that her, the, her, the religion of her people is stupid and restricting, and you know, it was just going to do her own thing and figure out her own moral compass. And it's an inconvenience in some ways, at least to Kilair it was. Yeah, and I don't know that we know enough about Bolana at this point to know whether or not she thinks it's a, 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 a hindrance or not. But she I certainly think is not a fan of it, at least. I think it's just a culture that she was just very much not raised in, and doesn't believe and then frankly probably gets annoyed because she people probably assume um, right you know it's a Klingon holy day she's going to get people wondering why she's not celebrating now I don't know if I mean you 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 obliquely mentioned the the show's I don't know if I want to call it a problem yet because I don't know if we have enough information or context but Mm. specifically regarding Chakotay's native quote-unquote Native American culture and you know you could make the argument of course that that part of his respect to this alien culture and these bodies is a lazy character beat because he is supposed to be a native american who stereotypically are one yeah. with nature and earth and all that kind of stuff that was the implication again the what do you see about this scene what can you tell from that seems like all right the indian guide is showing me about all about the trail and where these hunters were going you know that it it, it seemed a riff on that scene i Again, I feel like the series means very well with him. It, it, it's it's really trying, and you know, it's got its heart in the right place. Um, and I don't even know enough to. And I'll be honest, I don't know enough to know if it's generally if it is genuinely problematic or not. Right. It's not like there's yeah. It, it, it it's not like a case where it's the Redskins, and you know, is the team name offensive? <laughs> You know, I yeah, the, naming him uh, uh, Redskin. Would yeah, be like if, if it was something like that, I'd say no. But I, I, I think it's just trying to be respectful, and I think there is a degree to which Earth doesn't really have nations so much anymore. Uh, politically, uh, in the Federation, you know, there is Earth as a whole as a unit in the Federation, and. So I guess one, I, I, I don't know if that is part of the point, like where. It is so far enough in the future that everything— Well, Picard happened. very strongly identified as French. Yeah. At least in the early part of TNG before they dropped that idea. <laughs> um, but just as Cisco identifies as coming from New Orleans and all of that, you know, there is a difference between culturally where you're from and 
you know, a political entity. We assume that uh, governance on Earth is done on a global level. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't know if that would translate. In. I, I mean, I think that that's probably a little bit of a stretch. I think, I think it's just a, a white person not really understanding that's <laughs> that there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of Native American cultures, not one. And getting less by the day if President Trump has its way. <sighs> so, Harry Kim. Oh, gee. I am starting to think that the show does not want us to think that he is very good at this yet. Yeah, in some, I feel like in he this, sh- he should not have said no. a lot of what he said when he first got there. No, I, I, I think they're trying to, in this episode at least they're trying to make Harry Kim the us character, right? Like he's all new, he's wet behind the ears, fresh out of the academy bumbling through hasn't really memorized the real book and I, I i think this is supposed to we i think we are supposed to be identifying with him a little bit especially in this episode yeah and i i suppose it isn't fair to expect the ensign that's fresh no. out of the academy to be able to single-handedly handle a first contact he situation. even recognizes that fairly clearly on early on he says uh, this is a first contact scenario i i i'm in over my head here I, I i he's not a diplomat he's more of a science guy anyway yeah and it seems weird to me that the the show simultaneously wants him to not be very good at this and then also i think in a certain sense he, he doesn't i mean he recognizes I, that it's a that it's a delicate situation he recognizes that he his initial reaction to the situation was not the correct one he's he's giving out way too much information he's asking them questions yeah. that are um giving away information that perhaps this culture has no idea about in terms of, Hey, I just came from this asteroid where all these bodies were from bodies. What what do you mean bodies? But again, before before he asks that question, but I I didn't think that that would be a thing who would think that, you know, people would not would think that their bodies would not decompose. I mean, everybody knows that happens. Everybody, every every culture we've seen in the Federation has some kind of disposal of the bodies in mind. They know well, there's going to be bodies. I, I mean, I don't know that we are necessarily supposed to think that they don't know that happens. I mean, I'm sure that people get murdered still and people die alone in their houses and don't get found for two years. I mean, you know, yeah. so so I I think that that's. You know, I don't know that we're supposed to think that they don't think bodies decompose, but I just think that they think that if you go into yeah, the no, cenotaph and you go off into wherever you're going, I mean, Harry Kim even concedes the point that it may be a different dimension. Yeah. And actually, one of the things I like about the episode is that it never answers that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sure. very possible that oh my it God, was a different if, dimension. What if the world of the star trek universe as we know it is the afterlife which is why everything is so kind of nice and then only harry kim has gone back is this my fan theory i think that's another one of your fan theories i love fan theories yeah i mean i think that the it's a good episode for harry kim i think it grounds him in a real place and i think that it gives him an opportunity to to get off the ship for a little while to rely on his own wits and to to level up in a sense yeah i was just about to say this i mean and i mean especially the ending when jane way comes to him and says like you're off for the next couple days like you need to process this you know as you get as you get more and more responsibility you're not going to have time for that like she she she, frankly we want i wonder what experience she had that she would have liked a couple days off to just kind of write a shitty poem about or whatever you know whatever you know he's going to be playing his clarinet for the next two days just composing a sonata about this but yeah this is about he he is 
all of the people on the ship really have to grow up very quickly because they are in such an unusual situation. Again, I always go back to that Miles O'Brien saying, you know, I had 10 minutes to learn and and fix, learn how to and fix the transporter. And by God, I did it, you know, and that's kind of where these characters are. We were flung 75,000 light years away and we had to just make it work and we did so yeah uh, harry kim i just randomly got transported in, into another dimension i fucked up i learned some really weird things about death i died myself and now here i am and he's got to properly place that but this experience will make him a more insightful uh officer will make him a more competent well he he will have and, and frankly uh, the woman that is on the ship for a little while says, like, well, I died once, you know, what am I? Harry's going to have that experience, too, right? He's died already, you know, how how are you going to hurt him? That's true, yeah. And, I mean, you know, to to this episode's credit, I mean, we did say it wasn't dark enough, but she does die. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was... Not in a horrible fashion, but she still dies. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting how death is less of a thing in this episode, but... I mean, think back to Tasha Yar dies, you know, Dr. Crusher desperately tries to revive her and doesn't manage to. Uh, Pulaski uh, brings somebody back. I don't remember. She brings somebody back to life, and it's talked about as it's this very intricate and complicated process that, again, even Dr. Crusher isn't quite at the level to be able to do. Uh, And now you have two people, you know, Harry Kim counts on well they're certainly going to be able to revive me in time you know, even if it's a 12 hour window or something like that i i think it's interesting that as we are going on because this is about 10 years after the pulaski method was invented wasn't it mm, i guess so yeah well yeah. a little less than that but yeah yeah either way it's had time to percolate and be programmed into the emergency medical hologram i guess one last point about janeway the scientist is that I like how willing she is to admit the limits of science. Uh, She says – when she's saying, you know, we don't know what happens to your people or, you know, all of that. But that doesn't mean there isn't somebody who doesn't. And at the very end, she is is admitting to Harry there is more that we don't know than we do know. But as a scientist, she's trying – the Federation is just kind of chipping away little bits by bits and bits. And if it – it knows it's never going to get to the end of it, and it knows that we have a whole another quadrant full of mysteries. They have chipped out. I mean, if you think about a fog of war, war situation around there, they've chipped such a tiny thing of the Delta Quadrant out. But that's exciting. That means more adventures. I think that this is a version of science that will always find mysteries. Yeah, for sure. I think so. I think that's a good read on on how the show is approaching the the Delta Quadrant in general yeah. so far. And I think the other thing too, of course, is that the the episode is not really saying a whole lot about the afterlife, not really making yeah. a lot of statements on it because I don't think that it would be in the show's best interest to do that. I mean, no, if it for sure says the ambient ra- radiation is a consciousness and we can talk right. to it and all, like if they had a conversation with the planet. That would have tanked the episode. It has I mean, this. This is one of the the central mysteries of of humanity yeah. for as long as humans have been sapient life forms. And so, for for an ep- random episode of you know a UPN show from 1995 to think they're going to solve it, yeah. uh, it, it would not be the right thing to do. And so, I think it shows 
a lot of restraint and it shows a lot of intelligence to say to make it a mystery episode and to at the end of the episode to say you know what i don't know what is happening with these people i don't know if they're in a different dimension or if they're just like five light years away and frankly i mean it's kind of weird that these asteroids have atmospheres yeah asteroids don't that's true have atmospheres so that all is sort of indicative of the ways in which this episode is approaching this as well i think and i will say that yes you're right there is a lot that doesn't quite add up but it does feel like it could i i I, the end of the episode they're left with we have no idea but it's working it's doing something this is how it is and you know Maybe their interpretation is right about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. Let's talk about Prime Factors. And this was a very good episode. I was, like I said, wait, I was it, shocked. I was it, like, wait, I, how did I forget about this? Is this the first great Voyager episode? I think so. Yeah. It was very much about something. It was – it's doing the thing that episodes like The Drumhead and uh, 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 The Pale Moonlight – have done, which is take this founding principle of the series. Which I will stop you, though, because let's give Voyager some credit here. In the Pale Moonlight was 1998. This is 95. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before it. So I think we need to get, you know, I think that we need to, to, it's going to be a little difficult, I think, to remember that sometimes. But in in terms of where Deep Space Nine was at this point, it was the third season. So yeah, if in the Pale Moonlight is a, an objectively better episode, we have to take into account that we also had six seasons to develop these characters to get these people to this point to have the fall from principles maybe that Cisco is doing have the effect. If we have if, – if, if we worry about Janeway falling into breaking her principles uh, already and this is only episode eight or nine, that's, that's very – you're right. That is a very – we need to remember that. Yeah, I think so. And I one of the I think one of the reasons why I was so so shocked at how good Prime Factors was again is because I, I did not remember it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw it before, but it didn't really register. I think partly it's just developing critical faculties, but also looking at it with a critical eye. And I think that it really does combine. I think all of the elements that mm. so far are are part of Voyager in a really 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 well written and thought provoking episode. Yeah. I mean, you've got uh, a weird science thing with the <laughs> folding space. You've got uh, the the crew not really being sure about what they're doing or where they're going. You've got sort of tensions between, well, not really. T- I mean, sort of a little bit of tension between the Machian Starfleet. Well, it's more it's things, dealing with their really. relationships. I would. It's, s- it's dealing with their relationships. I think it's also dealing with the very the very real fact that Voyager is is alone in the in mm-hmm. the Delta Quadrant as a Federation ship, uh, and, meeting a culture that's more that's larger and more established than theirs is in this particular place. And it also is a really, really nice Star Trek episode because it remembers that one of the things that that Star Trek and the Starfleet characters mm. always do is they are delighted by new cultures, they are delighted yeah. by new species, and they they greet them with an air of trust and and mutual cooperation and respect. I think that you know it was just shocking to me to see the beginning of this episode, and and I think part of it is shocking because we've just come off Deep Space Nine when this sort of trust was was thin on the ground yeah. as the dominion war went on and on but voyagers flying around they get this distress call from this random ship <laughs> from this culture they've never met before the guy says hey you should come to our planet and party <laughs> and they're like you know what 
Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just appreciate that a lot. Even though there is a, a, a major tense conflict between those, there is never the worry that this is going to end in violence. Even, e- frankly, even the guy who's like, yeah, I'll sell you the tech for all all the literature. You know, he's all he wants to do is expand his social capital by being the dude who brings a really huge library to the world. You know, you don't get the sense that he's killing people or, or you know, hurting anybody. He's yeah, he, not, didn't, he didn't ask for some photon torpedoes. Yeah, he's not peddling drugs. He's not, you know, embezzling. He is just trying to bring books to people. I, I I mean, I, I think there is a beauty to this. This culture is another mirror of the Federation because because they are just as delighted to see another culture to, you know, wow, new things. I mean, everybody's excited, excited at the beginning of this episode, new food, new people, new stories, all of this cool shit we've never seen before. And yet I think the significant difference between the two is the point that Janeway makes. You are looking for only the novelty. You really spend a couple of days with the thing and then you get bored with it when it's repetitive where we are looking to make deep lasting relationships that unfold over time, which everybody in Voyager is going to do because they are uh, – we'll talk about the beginning in a minute. but Yeah, because I think that if you wanted to find a mission statement for why Voyager just doesn't like find a planet and settle down, it's it's that because – the the relationships the history that they it's have not home. with with the, yeah it's not home i mean it's the the people that they have left in the alpha quadrant their their society their culture they want to get back to it and these people don't really understand that i mean this even episode even went to a couple episodes ago when Bellana and Harry were talking and she's like, oh, my friends are on the ship everything this episode even made Bellana wish to return home and again, when push comes, I think a bit of the conversation with Harry was guarded. Like, I don't have the option, so I'm making the best of it. You know, there is no sense grieving over. But when she is given the opportunity to possibly get back home, get closer to home, help out the cause of the Maquis that she did pledge herself to, I uh, she gets excited about it. And in I, spite and I forget, of herself, was it um, was it Seska? Yeah. Who who kind of convinced her to I mean Seska was the one if I, I remember she was the one who was talking to Chakotay like, Oh, whenever you're ready to rebel, I'm she there. Was. She is Seska really wants to die nobly for a cause. She she wants to go out in a blaze of glory. She is looking for a fight. I think it's interesting that she more than Balada is 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 the hothead and she's Bajoran. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think and that, not not religious Bajor, and she doesn't have the earring. That is true. She does not have the earring. I think that's an interesting point. But you know, Seska's a character, obviously, that the show is trying to develop a little yeah. bit. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you noticed her because she has been in a couple other episodes, and she's a good actress. I think that she's doing some interesting work, and I, I like the way that they're using her in this episode because, of course, I don't know. It's 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 such an it's such a hard episode to talk about in a way because it's really two different episodes yeah I mean, at the beginning of it is very sort of gee whiz look at all this beautiful stuff and look, uh. we can go to this planet and blah 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 and then harry kim discovers that they have the ability to fold space and they're forty thousand light years away from where they were yeah. and you know his head explodes and of course it would and then the end the next you know 20 minutes of the episode essentially becomes a heist movie and i i think the key to that is the show smartly because i you know i've talked before about how voyager gets criticized for ignoring the maquis stuff and i i don't necessarily agree with that i think that yeah. that um 
one of the one of the ways in which Voyager is usually criticized is to say, well, they didn't do what I would have done with this concept, yeah. and so what they did with the concept is bullshit. Okay, like maybe you should go to move to Hollywood then and, and find out how easy it is to become a TV writer. Like, you know, I love doing that. It's just, it, it, it strikes me as the sort of laziest criticism. And so what I think is really interesting with an episode like prime factors, which is dealing a lot with the Maquis, but it's dealing yeah. with it in a very star Trek way. It's saying, yeah, okay. You know what? These, these Maquis people, Seska, Bellana, Chakotay, Janeway and the rest of the crew, as we've seen in these few episodes, I mean, the episode started out with them sitting around and Janeway smiling. They're at the school cafeteria. Right. And there is, you know, it's a school where there are cliques, but they're not like hostile to each other. And you have the jocks and the geeks and they're. You know, kind of friendly, you know, joking back and forth to each other because they're there and but they might got as that, well. But they've got that good-natured ribbing going yeah. on between Bellana and, and Starfleet, Harry Kim. You know, it, it's stuff like that. And yeah. so you look at it and you say, okay, the, the beginning of the episode is them finally gelling. Janeway is finally, yeah. you know, she's smiling at them nicely and saying, oh, isn't it wonderful that the Maki and the Starfleet crew are finally gelling? And what I find so interesting about the way in which prime factors develops that further is not to artificially divide them, but to have Lieutenant Carey, the yeah. guy from the second episode of the show who felt very strongly that Belana Torres should not be chief engineer, mm-hmm. was not qualified to be chief engineer. She's a Maquis. She's not Starfleet. You know, she's, she's not uh, going to be able to, to do this job to the level at which it needs to be done. And, you know, Belana and Seska are, are sort of, conspiring to, <laughs> to steal this technology and lieutenant Carey shows up who is one of the more starfleet people that we've seen yeah. on the show so far and saying hey i'm with you i'm in yeah and i think that that's really what it comes down to is that whatever the differences between and i think the differences between starfleet and the maquis are, are overrated anyway because the maquis yes they're rebels or whatever but they've not i don't they've not really given up the the ideals and the culture of the federation they are not yeah. at odds with that and we've seen you know that in ds9 of course and, I think- and so to me what it, what it comes down to is that you know these are not people that are rejecting federation yeah. culture these are people that are rejecting the federation politics on a single issue they think that in a way the federation has rejected the ideals in certain ways uh certainly the bit with uh eddington and ds9 was that they failed these people and so you know you know they, that the federation's laws don't even matter to them anymore they've been rejected from that um yeah i i i again they could janeway isn't somebody who's enforcing the borders or anything like that it's not like sure maybe they would get into a heated discussion about whether or not the maquis should exist i think everybody on that ship is a little too smart to realize to 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 get into to fall for that trap again it doesn't matter because right, right yeah, now it because matter? it's 75,000 light years away and so again we're all here and we're not the enemies right and so i think that's why it's it's so nice for the episode to not only acknowledge that but to allow other characters to to go along with that as well. And because it's really like they are in effect gelling, not because they're stuck on the ship together, but because they all want to get home. Yeah. And and in a way, and I mean, for people like Bellana, it's, it's very explicitly said to have grown a bit in this episode. She's changed. She is understanding the reasons behind all of this. 
very literally at the end, I think she gets a little bit of an appreciation for Starfleet safety protocol when the ship almost fucking blows up as a result <laughs> of them testing this a little too prematurely. Like, sort of, oh, okay, maybe there was a reason for this. You know, maybe we should take this to the captain who knows science really well. Well, that is one of the things that I think is most interesting about this episode, of course, is that no one on TNG would ever have done this. And DS9 maybe would have done this, but it would not have been someone in a Starfleet uniform pulling this shit. So seeing Bolana do this, seeing Seska do this, and seeing Lieutenant Carey help them yeah. do this at the end of the episode is shocking because it, it does actually, I think, work because they want to get home really desperately. They are 70 years from home. They are probably never going to see their loved one again if they continue to, to fly at warp nine straight towards the yeah. Alpha Quadrant and stop for every little you know side quest they side get. Quest that they, they, they get um, every little exclamation point over a planet. <laughs> and so I, I think that they are... <laughs> They're selling it really well that yeah. that Bolana's desperation at the end of the episode is, you know, not only born out of a desire to get home, but also a des- but also a, a sort of inability on her part to recognize why Starfleet has these rules and regulations in place, and also her own limitations. I yeah. mean, she she pretty much goes, "Oh yeah, okay, I got this." Yeah. This like bizarre technology that was only a vague theory two days before oh yeah we've got this well no you don't actually yeah and, and what it turns out to be these anti-matter neutrinos or whatever again anti-neutrinos this anti-techno babble term uh she fully admits like we didn't even think about this it's it's incompatible with federation technology like you get the sense that this doesn't affect fe- you know federation technology has never taken anti neutrinos because what good are they and so, yeah it, it, it's a total blind spot so i do have a question for you though about their entire approach to how they're thinking about how they're going to use this space folding technology so so they do say that the the range of the technology is about 40,000 light years. Well, at least 40,000 light years. That well, seems to be the furthest that they've gone. Right. Well, that's my question. So they say, okay, we can only go 40,000 light years. That is the limits of the technology. Lieutenant Carey then says, well, there's no reason why we couldn't reconfigure it yeah. and then jump the rest of the way home. Okay, fair. So they can only do 40,000 light years at a time, yeah, but you can jump as much as you want. They're about 80,000 light years from home, so they use it twice, yeah. Now, of course, that doesn't turn out to be the case because, as it turns out, the the planet's core is the, the yeah. power source for this technology. So, so they, how do they get back? Well, no, <laughs> because they didn't jump. No, 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 but when like they go to Orissa or whatever the planet is. Oh, no, I just assumed that they have some sort of like homing thing or something yeah I mean, it, it, they're forty thousand light years so it's you know both ways the, the platform pulls you and it's still on the planet so it can yeah, yeah okay but my question for you is once they figure out that they can only go forty thousand light years and of course that would still cut 40 yeah, years of their say, trip so it, it's it, not not a bad thing and um, again they can still start looking for wormholes from forty thousand miles yeah well they know that one exists because the gamma quadrant wormhole exists and the gamma quadrant wormhole is said to be 30,000 light years away from federation space so why didn't they why didn't anyone mention that like we could jump to the gamma quadrant wormhole and then just go to ds9 uh gamma quadrant are there any semi-friendly planets in the gamma quadrant they know about yet i don't think so because even if they won't let them take voyager around they could say well beam us to that planet beam us to the planet where the red-faced people are yeah they're not the nicest people but they'll at least be you know they'll they'll at least 
you know, let us make a phone call. Yeah, like, you don't need to take the ship with you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's nice to take it, but, you know, leave the ship, self-destructed, so no other alien technology gets a hold of Federation technology. Go to the Red People Planet from that episode of DS9 and then have them take you to the wormhole. I mean, then you're back. So... Yeah. I don't know. It seems like a little bit of a No, it's fair. And and again, it's these people and I forget their name, uh do come off as dicks for not, you know, giving them a ride. To some degree, yes. Like I I I I get and even Janeway, you know, admits that, all right, so you don't want we understand why you wouldn't want our te- your technology to accidentally fall into another's hands. We get if you don't quite believe that we're going to destroy it at the end. All right. Uh but can you at least can you at least help us get that much closer to our and, and again he doesn't even ask. I guess it, yeah, it's true. That, that th- I, that's the thing. If, if if they had discussed it and still said you know no, we have decided that still does go against our laws. That would be one thing. They had he had no intention of asking. It was boring. It's business stuff. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things that that key to the episode kind of. The way in which it turns is that Gaithan turns out to be, and I like the fact that he's, I don't know if he's a dick necessarily, but I think that he's just more interested in his own pleasure than anything else. He does seem not to be necessarily a representative Hmm. person on this. I mean, he's, he's certainly, I think that he's a little bit sexually aggressive with Janeway. Janeway doesn't really seem to be super into it, but okay. Um, but I also think that he is just the kind of character that is a little bit, a little bit slimy. Yeah, frankly, he, he's 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 a trust fund hipster. Really, that's I think that's who I took a lot of these people to be. They are just kind of money is no object. It doesn't really matter, and you know they want to just be having constant parties for their friends and everybody interesting that they see around them, and they're having a great time, and they don't want to do any actual work and gee that sounds boring and you know can't you get yourself a ride home and oh now that you actually need you know that i think that's the kind of personality they're going for with him i I think so too and i think also that that you know key to that as well is the idea that that they've never met the federation before yeah they don't know anything about the federation they don't know anything about starfleet so to them it's just like oh well it's a random yeah. ship of aliens that we've only seen this one time and we don't know anything yeah. about. And, and they've what stopped do we being care? fun. They really just all they're talking about is going home and can we help them and let's have a meeting. And, uh, you know, those guys just get out. Come on. Like, I, I mean, it is true that to a certain degree, the Federation is kind of a buzzkill. <laughs> no, yeah, she, she he he basically because this is if it, this is a version of rising, you know, it, it, Riker would enjoy the hell out of a week here. Uh, and they're all just all right. Well, you know, we gotta get home, and let's see what you know. Let's let, let's see what you got, and you know, can you help us? Um, but that's why the episode works so well, though. Yeah. Is that it, it fundamentally comes down to a, a difference in what these people think and what these cultures think a good life is, and and yeah. as it turns out, they have wildly different ideas yeah. about what that is. I mean, I. I, I because it's almost as, I mean, I don't know that it's even like they're bored by Voyager wanting to get home. I think it's just they don't understand the motivation. Yeah. The, it, 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 it's a lot of things. I, get, I mean, frankly, most of the, they've really, they've also never dealt with somebody so far away. Anybody who visits this planet, uh, 
has has traveled from a close enough star system that they're or you know for example lives on one of the planets that they have a teleport pod going to yeah uh, yeah and so they're either they're planning on going to stay forever or they're going for a couple weeks of vacation and then leaving under their own steam to there and really these people don't have to deal with that they either just get a new permanent friend or a friend for a couple of weeks and they learn some interesting stuff and they have a good time I think that's true. A new book to read. So we need to talk about Tuvok. Yes, we do. Um, Did you see this coming? Uh, uh, yes and no. And I really like what they do with Vulcan in this episode, especially the ending where, I mean, he says, you know, my logic was completely correct, but I was wrong. Um, he says my logic was not an error. But I was. Yeah. And what I think was very interesting about this episode is Tuvok does a much better job than DS9 did of attempting to justify Section 31. Janeway is somebody who has these very strong principles of what is acceptable to do in this situation. She desperately knows that she, she, she is dealing with, number one, I have certain principles, Federation principles I cannot break, and I promised this crew that I would take every every uh, uh, a, a, any available chance to get home. You yeah. know, that is my number one goal. I, I, I mean, when she says, like, could I give this away, you know, could I give away this opportunity, you know, to not break my principles, you know, she knows that many of the crew will find that a, 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 a bad excuse. And so Tuvok takes it upon himself saying – in order to protect her from dealing with – from either compromising the principles or failing in her mission, I'm going to take it upon myself. I'll take whatever consequences are. If I'm cast out of Starfleet because of this and if I'm in the brig for the rest of it, so be it. This needs to be done. I'm doing this to protect her. That is really Section 31's logic, isn't it, that the Federation – has certain things that need to be done. Somebody needs to kill the fucking founders, and I don't want the rest of the Federation to actually deal with making that decision. They, they, they. I want to protect them from that, and so I'm going to poison the founders and let them take advantage of it. Tuvok is going to steal the thing, and, well, it's already stolen, and we're home already, so, you know, Janeway doesn't even have to deal with that. And her response to that, which is very much in line with which I think is a better justification for the rejection of C Section 31 than Cisco did is that you can use logic to justify anything, but it's my job to make these decisions. I, I, you know, in a way, Janeway's I'm in the captain's chair. It's my role to do this, and I need your logic. I need she doesn't need Tuvok to be a weapon that can do that can go beyond the bounds of morality. She needs Tuvok to be the moral compass. She needs Tuvok to be the thing that keeps her from making these wrong choices because it doesn't matter in a way who makes the wrong choices. She needs to prevent the wrong choices from being made. Yeah, I think that that's true. I mean, one of the – I always have a little bit of – I mean, I have a little bit of a problem with Tuvok's actions in this episode, not because I think they're necessarily wrong. I think it's definitely a gray area and it yeah. is the kind of thing where – I don't know what yeah. the right thing to do, honestly, is. Which but... is the point of the episode. No, none of these characters really know what the wrong, or the right or the wrong thing to do is, and they're right. All, I think they all realize that they're going to have to do. They're going to have to breach something in this situation. Yeah, but I, I, I always have a problem. I mean, I have a problem with with Tuvok's 
actions in this episode only because I don't know that they're that clear to me. Okay. I, I think that Tim Russ had a problem with this yeah. as well. It said in Memory Alpha I was reading about it. I thought it was really interesting because one of the things that he felt was that it should have been made more clear that one of the reasons why Tuvok made this decision was because essentially Janeway was about to have a mutiny on her hands. Hmm, no, I didn't. Quite. And I don't know that I would go that far. It yeah. didn't really seem to be rising to the level of mutiny for me. Three people in engineering covertly deciding to trade Federation literature for <laughs> a device isn't yeah. really a mutiny. It's certainly it's certainly not something that is great to do, and I don't think that Janeway yeah. is obviously thrilled that it happened. But but I, but I think that it's a little bit too far to call it mutiny or even close to mutiny. Yeah. And also, but but I just that leaves me with okay, well, what is, what was Tuvok's real motivation here? And I don't know. You know, he talks at the beginning about you know, maximizing efficiency of the crew and this, you know, Janeway's Janeway's all happy to see the Maquis and everybody and the rest of the crew bonding because, again, she she's the school principal in that scene. And, you know, she sees all the kids getting along and that's a really nice thing, you know, that, that, that makes her happy. Morale on the ship is good. A good ship morale is a really good thing. And just for herself, she enjoys that. Tuvok is all, well, this is an efficient crew. And, you know, she even jokes that when they're going on the planet, well, shore leave would be a, would help the crew efficiency. Uh, you know, they're, I think he is viewing from cold logic. He does seem to feel that, well, breaking this principle, because nobody is going to be hurt in this situation, no matter what happens. The worst that happens is that this one guy becomes known as the guy who brought Federation literature to, again, it's not like it's bombs. It's not drugs. Nobody is going to get hurt in this scenario. And so if I have to bend this rule in order to make the most, you know, in order to have a shot at getting us home that much quicker, even if it just cuts the time in half. That's the logical thing to do. I think Tuvok is still struggling with that, the role of logic in the world. Again, he's, I get the sense, a little younger than Spock was in the main. No, he's a lot older. He is? Yeah. So your entire point is Is the is actor invalid. younger? I don't think so. No, Tuvok is supposed to be like 100 years old, dude. He still could be struggling with the role of logic. You do get the he sense could that be. that's a lifelong challenge for the Vulcan, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just okay. I I feel like while I like the impetus to to have Tuvok be the guy who does the thing, <laughs> I don't know if the episode justifies it enough. I don't have a clear sense of why he did it. I don't know yeah, what his motivations fair. are. I like the scenes that result a lot. Yeah. I think that that last scene between Janeway, Bellana, and Tuvok in her ready room is probably the best scene of the show so far. I think that Catherine Janeway is already a really, really great captain. And I think Kate Mulgrew is giving a fantastic performance. And I think she's doing some really good work on Voyager, but it seems to me that this undercut some of the logic of, yeah, not to, not to make a pun, uh, you know, undercut some of the logic of, Tuvok's motivations in this to get to that emotional place, which is in itself maybe a commentary on Star Trek. I don't know, but... 
he could very easily number one he is explicitly asked to explain his actions he is a vulcan so he is going to lay everything out logically and so his emotion his his, his his reasoning could have been made a little more explicit to justify this again if 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 preventing a mutiny was one of the reasons why didn't he say during that well and, that's my that's yeah. my thing I, I i think that you know whatever problems tim russ had with the concept with the with the justification for tuvok's actions in this episode and they apparently did change about 30 percent of it okay. or something uh i agree with him i i don't know why I, he did this i mean aside from well it had to be done and i wanted to spare you from having to do it no you're, you're all right it seems like they wanted to this is the character doing an action to fit the theme rather than growing the theme out of a character's actions, if you know what I mean. In other words, yeah. we wanted to I, – I, I find during this episode very much, but this is going to be a thing I will do, I guess, until the DS9 chronologically ends in this series. But I'm taking this as a further commentary on themes that Section 31 introduced. Section 31 really is a development of a theme that this episode introduced. Right, but again, Section 31 was like three years after that. Yeah, exactly. So, if anything, it's the opposite of how I'm taking it. Yeah. It is hard to remember that uh, this came first. If themes are being picked up, they originated here. I see more why he's doing it instead – why he decides to do it himself as opposed to the kids, Balana and whatever her name is, Casca and everybody. Well, I think that, that – I mean the only way that I can – I mean the only way that I can really justify it in my own head is that to, to me what that final scene in the episode really pinches – you know, kind of hangs on and that Tuvok's line about, well, my logic wasn't, er- wasn't in error but I was – is the prime directive and they don't talk a lot about the prime directive in this episode but they do mention it of course and and i'm not sure if the prime directive would even quite apply in this case because they well they don't quite have warp they have the equivalent well prime well the prime directive is not always only about war but it but is also about not interfering in alien cultures unless they want to be interfered with i mean Mm. so you know they don't want to give the technology you can't force them to give the technology i think that that at least for me at the end of the episode, what it comes down to is that the prime directive is about the limitations of logic. It's about saying, you know what? We don't know what the results of this action, any action are going to be. We don't know what the results of us giving these guys our literature and taking this thing surreptitiously are going to be. We can't cross that line. And so they never hear nuclear war. Then they read a post-apocalyptic novel and it causes them to be violent. I think what it comes down to for me, though, is that, you know, because, you know, Janeway came to them and said, we'll give you the literature. It doesn't have anything to do with the literature. The literature is not a prime directive issue. The prime directive issue here is how it's because the prime directive is not always about the alien culture. It's also about Starfleet and the Federation and how it's going to affect them. And so to me, I look at this and I say, okay, well, Tuvok is able to justify this action because of logic. And what Janeway is saying at the end of the episode is that's not good enough. The prime directive is not only about logic. The prime directive is also about unintended consequences. It's about this. It's about that. Right. And so what Tuvok does is say, I have all of the answers. I know exactly what's going to happen. And Janeway says, no, you don't. You have logic. You have your experiences. You have your knowledge. You have your extrapolations from data. But at the end of the day, you don't know what the results of this are going to be. And it's not your job to make that decision. It's my job, dude. 
I think that's what it comes down to, really. It's interesting how many of these episodes are kind of downers. You know, a lot of them left end with they're a little worse off than they were before, either because they've you know, lost their fuel and tried to gain more fuel, or we had this opportunity to get home and it was snatched in front of our faces. Like they, in a lot of ways, the show is about the consequences of sticking to one's principles. They still live by the Federation principles, and even though they're worse off, that's not the reason they're living by the principles. It's not yeah. for gain. It's not for them. It's about, frankly, they're, frankly, Janeway has to live with herself. Right, right. Janeway has to live with herself. She's the one who's going to have to, you know, she she doesn't. No, no one on the crew has all of the information or the yeah. or the the facts. Janeway probably doesn't even have all the information or the facts. But she is the one who, at the end of the day, yeah. is going to make the decision. She's the one who's responsible for them. Well, as they say, the all, all of the facts, anti neutrinos are. Pro- Janeway would probably not have thought of anti neutrinos either. She doesn't have all. The, nobody has all the facts. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the the final question before we wrap this episode up is why didn't Janeway make Tuvok her first officer? That I thought I, – I mean the other week I think I thought that she was her first officer because of how close they are. They're the ones who are eating lunch together there. He's kind of her right hand much more than Chakotay. Was Chakotay even in this episode? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. So – I think he was. He, I think, oh, no, he brought Kessa pizza. Oh, really? No. Oh, I want a pizza. <laughs> um, yeah, if we view uh, Picard and Riker as the kind of ideal captain for number one situ- uh, relationship, Janeway and Tuvok have much closer t- to that than she and Chakotay do. Chakotay and she are just kind of learning to know each other Tuvok is the person that, again, she's bringing her problems, her pain to her, the one that massively disappoints her when he goes against her, the one that she calls her friend. I don't think she would call Chakotay a close friend yet. They just haven't developed their relationship to that point. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it was just the symbolic gesture from, again, in the pilot, what we need to throw the Maquis a bone, so let's make their commander my first, you know, and also a way of respecting him he was the captain of his ship and now he's not <laughs> now his ship is gone so well at least you're my first and you're you will be acting as captain many many times yeah i think that's probably right yeah that makes sense okay you convinced me great all right well if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of voyager we just discussed please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. If you do not know what Patreon is, it is a way for you to show your love and support of this show through money. We are not in the socialist paradise yet, so we still do need to use these capitalist means sometimes. We are Ferengi. And it also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We are releasing our episode on the X-Files episodes, Beyond the Sea, and Genderbender this week. and One of those was great. (laughs) I was going to say, at least one of those was great. We'll leave it to your imagination to find out which one. Social media, we're on it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check about shows, our username, and all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trek About. Next week, we are going to be talking about the strangely named State of Flux and Heroes and Demons. That's three episodes. 